It's the People's Podcast Show with Adrian Biddle. Melissa Bartlett. And your boy Terry Bigsby. It's your show. So tell us what you want to talk about. It's that the round table podcast show. All right. Good evening, everybody. Thank y'all for joining us. It is another Wednesday. Oh my goodness. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the At The Roundtable Podcast show. Um, tonight's going to be very interesting. It's going to be real cool. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we can't introduce the deacon tonight. But that's all right, because Melissa and I, we're going to handle it. So I get to introduce the uh, the the charming sister of mine that uh, keeps us in line. She is Melissa Bartlett, a.k.a. Miss Pitbull. What's going on, sis? Hello. Hi, ATRT family. I'm so, so excited to have you guys in this evening in the podcast. We have a super, super guest, um, really right on time with what's going on and what we're dealing with, um, just with our everyday lives and keeping up with different news feeds, um, have somebody that can possibly help us make sense of some of the, the things that's been going on, uh, some of the decisions that's been made. Um, I am also just excited that it's Wednesday and we're halfway through this week. And it just seems like when you get busy and you get started with something, it's like you look up, it's one o'clock, you look up, it's five, you know? Um, but that's the joy and the privilege of keeping busy. So I am super excited about tonight. I cannot wait for our guests to just talk to us and let us know it's going to be okay, hopefully. <laughs> How are you, CD? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, it is, I guess, you know, we're trying to do our best and get ready for the weekend. And we were just talking about that. You know, it's the holiday weekend coming up before. Uh, hopefully everybody be safe, be careful, yes. be mindful. Um, but it is a time for everybody to kind of like relax because it's been a lot going on. I mean, you know, you see the news and <laughs> you see what's going on. And uh, I think, you know, Echoing your same sentiments tonight is going to be great because this gentleman is going to help kind of make uh, a little more sense or connection to what we see. And I think a better understanding as well when it comes to the political realm. OK, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. Christopher A. Cooper. Yeah. Just to give you all a, uh, a brief synopsis of this gentleman, he is a professor in the Madison Distinguished Professor of Political Science and also with Public Affairs and Director of Public Policy Institute. This is at Western Carolina University. Go WCU. He and I were just talking not too long ago because my sons had the opportunity to go there. Kind of wish one of them did, but that's all right. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to get into that. But it is an outstanding uh, school, and this gentleman uh, is the one who helped shape the minds of these young people, especially when it comes to what goes on in our community and also in the political arena. So welcome, Mr. Cooper. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to it. Got to say, this is the best like intro of any podcast I've been on in a long time. The music and the whole thing you guys got going on. It's way more fun than your average podcast. So thanks for having me. Hey, that says, hey, Melissa, that's saying a lot because this gentleman has been quoted by means of the Times, ABC, NBC. Yep. Yep. I mean, the list goes on and on. So we, we got a shout out by means of him in regards to how we, I'm telling you, Mel, that's the reason you. why we work so thank hard. Let, let, let me practice. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> hey, Charlie Tunes, thank you for joining us on At The Roundtable Podcast show. Um, I know you're going to have questions. Charlie is a longstanding fan and friend and family member of this particular show, been following us for well over years. So I know she brings a lot of questions. So, hey, Charlie, get ready. Oh, Charlie says she's wearing black, not red, white, or blue this July 4th. Okay. Interesting. Mel, I, you know, that's that's your go-to right there. So I know she's going to kind of share with you. I'm actually wearing pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right, too. I'm 
wearing pajamas. The house is on notice. It is a day I am doing nothing. <laughs> That's all right. Sometimes you just got to sit back and relax and such. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know. Well, what I about have to you? Have a, a, slate, a shameless plug. Okay. CD, when you were talking about shaping the minds, um, you know, I share with the family like who the guest is, and so my oldest is a senior. Chris at Fayetteville State University. She goes, oh, he's the author of one of my books. <laughs> she is a politi um, political science major with a minor in intelligence studies. So Great. she's super excited about having you on. And she's like, oh, can you ask him this? And can you ask him this? And can you ask him this? And I was just like, give me one question. <laughs> so you never know, like, who is going to appear on our show and our, you know, our guests don't know, like, you know, you probably have written that book over how many years ago and, you know, you're still influencing, you know, the youth in that, in that uh, career or that career path. That's so great. That's great. Fable State's a great school too. So that's really cool to hear. So I'm curious, what one question did she give you? So, do we have to like start out the gate with this one? <laughs> well, you know, ironically, well, okay, uh, we could we could throw in uh, the inquiry that I know Adrian if he was here. I can't. I'm not going to do the Adrian. You're not going to do the Adrian voice. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm be professional oh. this evening. Well, then and, I'm not going to do it either. Okay, let's not do it. We're gonna we're gonna say that for later on, so that way we don't get in trouble with him. But. He did have an inquiry or a question in regards to the explanation or the def definition of gerrymandering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. The way I describe it is pretty simple. When mm -hmm. one party tries to use to tries to draw district lines to benefit themselves at the expense of the other party, right? Mm -hmm. So that's you know at its base the way I tend to define it. But it plays out in lots of different ways. In some ways, it's good. I'm talking to folks who live in Charlotte or at least live around Charlotte. That, I mean, really, North Carolina and Charlotte in particular have been the epicenter of so many of these redistricting fights, right? So yes. that's the big definition. It plays out all sorts of different ways, and I'm sure you won't get into, but the two primary ways, which we'll call packing and cracking. So mm. packing is basically when you take, you draw lines, so you put as many of the opposing parties' voters in a small number of districts, you pack them in there. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is you, it's like spotting the other team five points and making sure they'll get no more. Okay. So mm -hmm. that's packing. They all go in there. So what happens is it turns all of the districts around there friendlier to your party. So you hope that you win by say 60, 40, and they win a smaller number by say 80, 20. But mm -hmm. the other thing you can do is you crack. And so that's just what it sounds like. Also, you've got a big block of voters of one party and mm -hmm. you might want to crack them stick them into multiple districts so therefore you can win those districts. So it's a way to just use this district line drawing process to your benefit. And in North Carolina, the state legislatures are the ones who do this. So in some states, they have these independent commissions. In some states, the governor can veto them. Yeah. In our state, governor has as much power as the three of us, right? Which is to say not a whole lot of power in how this thing actually goes. It really is just up to the legislature and to some degree, the courts. Okay. And it's interesting that you mentioned that regarding the courts, because just recently, you know, the Supreme Court, they had reinstated the uh, gerrymandering Louisiana congressional map. That's right. And yeah. that seems like so much is going on in these courts right now. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And so, yeah, that was a really critical case. And so this basically the state court had said, ah, these maps are no good. They're racial gerrymanders, right? And so they're meant to, you know, benefit one party over the other, but by diluting the vote, by diluting the African-American vote. And the state court right. said that. And then the U.S. Supreme Court jumped in and said, yeah, just kidding. You guys can go through with these old maps anyway. In North Carolina, this stuff keeps getting kicked through the courts as well, and it has for years, but our court is barely held by the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. So the upcoming elections in the fall are going to matter for so many things. We can talk about any of those you want to, but right. one I hope folks don't lose sight of, no matter where you sit politically, Democrat, Republican, Green, whatever, 
those court, those um, judicial seats, the two that are up, are going to be crucial to determining things like gerrymandering and the legality of that in our state going forward. So it's going to be tempting to just pay attention to the U.S. Senate race. It's going to be the big shiny object in the corner, and it matters. Don't get me wrong, but those court seats also matter a ton. I don't know how many times, uh, Chris, we've told our viewers, you know, it matters at the local level first. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you get distracted, as you said, the big shiny object in the corner, the big, you know, it's it's on every news outlet. Um, It's almost like it's pushing it down your throat. It's being on your phone. But you need to make sure that you're just as involved and keep in touch and stay well read on any candidates and politicians at your local level because these are the people that are part of where you are every day they are making decisions for you every day and if you don't fight to have someone who's going to advocate for fairness or as fair as they can be it doesn't really matter about republican independent democratic because there's some people that may be on your ticket with what you're holding for but you know that they're not they're not ethically going to do what they need to do. So it is important that you make sure that you vote for the proper or the best candidate. And I am registered as a Democrat, but there has been a time where I have voted for a Republican mm-hmm. in certain seats. And I'm not going to not gonna hide behind it because who was given to me as my party's option, I didn't feel was a good one. Mm-hmm. That's exactly, and that's what we want to see, right? We want to see people making smart decisions based on the facts, based on the issues, based on where these candidates stand. And as you pointed out, who these candidates are, right? So no matter where you sit ideologically, there has to be a line that somebody can cross that you go, that's just too much, you know, as, as a person. And so, yeah, no, I think that's critical. And the the decision on abortion at the U.S. Supreme Court even makes that more important, right? Because what's happening now is the states are the ones We're going to get to make all these decisions on abortion. So if you're trying to figure out your pro-choice or your pro-life, wherever you stand, you want to make an impact. The place to invest and pay attention is your state legislative seats. And if you've got any money you tend to give to candidates, that's where your money, that's, you get the best bang for your buck. I mean, look at it. If you give money to Sherry Beasley or give money to Ted Budd, they're going to raise, you know, $15 million. And so your hundred bucks may not mean that much, but, for a state legislative candidate, they may raise $50,000. Your hundred bucks could actually be pretty important. It could actually mean, it means more. So just from a smart investing perspective, think about state legislatures. As you pointed out, think about these really local offices, school board, county commission, city council. That stuff matters in a really critical way, more so every day, I think. Good point. How, 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 um... How much, how many, how often was your phone <laughs> just notification, notification once <laughs> the Roe versus Wade was overturned? Yeah, it was pretty fast and furious. So I was actually at the North Carolina Bar Association doing a little talk with them. Um, and I just gotten off the little stage thing. And uh, that was when 10 o'clock when it hit. And it was uh, definitely coming in fast and furious. Um, and it's you know, it's it's hard. I mean, it's important right, to get that information out there quickly. But I got to say, it's a 260-something page decision, 264, I think. Mm-hmm. So one thing for folks to keep in mind, you know, maybe the information you're getting right from the beginning when nobody's actually been able to read and digest 260-something pages isn't the best. But by now, people have been able to read. They've been able to think. They've been able to put it in context. So I know we're all, myself included, we want it fast. We want it now. But sometimes we get better information, I think, if we just chill out just a little bit. Yep, definitely. So with you being, and it's interesting because with you being at the school mm-hmm. in Western Carolina, um, your connection with many of the students there, I guess the best way to, to, to say this is, or ask this is, what has been their thoughts not only just regarding Roe versus Wade and it being overturned, but just with the whole political realm right now. Because I mean, if you really think about it, what we, you know, the the interesting 
term that was, you know, several years ago with Donald Trump and, and, and the things that occurred from there. And then now leading up to, you know, these still these hearings that are going on January, you know, from January 6th situation and then to even now. What has been their thoughts, you know, the young people, the, the, the students that, you know, at first maybe did not pay attention to the political realm. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, this is what I'm this one I'm a part of. Yeah, no, I, I think there is definitely some of that. So on the Roe v. Wade issue, you know, it is summer, so I don't know quite as much what they're thinking. We'll figure that out in the fall. Mm -hmm. um, but as you pointed out, and I think framed it beautifully, right, this kind of bigger political moment that we're in, you know, I've been in Western Carolina 20 years teaching. And at the beginning, I think my challenge was like getting students interested in politics and excited, saying, hey, this matters. Now they walk in the door knowing that it matters. Right now, they may know it matters because they're so ticked off. They may be so upset. They may want it to change. They may think it's terrible. But that like, here's why you should care piece, I think, is less um, it's less of a challenge than it used to be. So when I talk to the students, I mean, one, I should say students are like anybody else. They vary. I and mean, we've got one thing I like about Western Carolina, honestly, is um, it's not a liberal bastion. It's not a conservative bastion. It really is a purple school, right? Purple is one of our colors and it really is true for students. And so we get some pretty robust discussion and we certainly have, you know, people that are way to the right, and people that are way to the left, um, but they coexist in the same classroom. And what I hear from them is they know it matters, um, but they're also kind of disgusted. They're kind of disgusted by politicians. And the part that worries me a little is they want to make a difference but they don't know that being active politically and running for office is a way to do it. And so one of my big messages I try to get across to students is one, think local and yeah. we already talked about, and two, you can run for office, right? I mean, the only way to get better people in office is to have better people run for office. I think as you frame perfectly, it's about the choices you have before us. And so now my challenge is less, it matters and more you can matter and you can do something to change this. Well That's said. great because yeah. the, the instructor of the courses, um, having, you know, a policy in my home, um, she makes me think of things different and then being part of this new generation. So, mm -hmm. um, Chris, I have a, about to be 22 and 20 year old. And so, just the way that they have helped me unlearn tradition. And they just started asking questions. Well, why? Why do you do it that way? Or why is it done that way? Or why do you have to say that? Or why, you know? And I'm like, uh, well, you know, and I'm like trying to go to a core, <laughs> not to just say, hey, well, that's what my mom did, or that's what I was told, or, you know, <laughs> you start understanding like, uh, I'm doing this because somebody else told me to. And so having that kind of, I don't want to say confrontational, let's just say enlightenment mm -hmm. um, from my two and then having a classroom full of them. Um, it's important, I think, that they are governed and they are influenced to not get caught up in the radical terms and energy that they feed off of social media. Mm -hmm. So how do you balance that while keeping mm -hmm. them grounded in, you know, hey, this is law versus what they're coming in with in their hands, on their laptops, you know, pads, I mean, everything um, that's just so there all the time. How do you keep that balance with your students? Yeah, it's, it's harder than it used to be for all those reasons you just named and listed so well. Um, I think for me, it's a matter of saying, these are facts, these are points of disagreement. So I try to be really clear with my students. Like, we're not going to argue about basic facts. Like, certain things happened, and um, there's certain patterns that we see in human behavior. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no point of discussion. Of course there is, right? But I try to be really clear on these are facts, and these are points of discussion. So if somebody says, January 6th didn't happen. I'm sorry, it did. That's a fact, right? We're not going to argue about that. I'm not going to pretend it didn't happen. I'm not going to pretend that was not an insurrection. But if somebody wants to say, well, you know, uh, 
why did a certain person feel this way? Or why did people feel motivated to do this? Or what are the best solutions for this problem? To me, those are great points of discussion and be wide open. So for me, it's just about differentiating, not just because it's hard to do, but making sure I differentiate facts from opinion. And I also try to do a lot of, to the, I do this enough where my students make fun of me for it. So I know I do it a lot. I'll say things like, um, look, one side will say this, and the other side argument tends to be this. And then I'll kind of put it to them to see if they have a third way. But that's kind of my way of signaling to them, okay, here are the facts. Now we're into argument land. And that's good too. And that's really important. Um, but I think separating those and just not falling into the fact, you know, to this notion that there are, there are no facts. There are facts. And they're still out there, despite what some Facebook feed says. <laughs> Or TikTok. Facebook's too old, right? We shouldn't. <laughs> we're dating ourselves when we say Facebook. So right. right. <laughs> that was actually my daughter's question. She just wanted to know, um, with your position in, in your purpose of having to uphold the, the ethics of the vote, um, you know, how has this influenced your job uh, with your colleagues and then with, you know, children that's coming up, your students, um, that should be by this time registered voters, um, you know, how has this caused you to change what you do and even possibly how you feel about your actual career? That's great. I love that question. Um, I don't have a good answer, just but although I do love the question. It's changing, I think, every day. Hopefully, every day I'm changing, right? Hopefully, being exposed to new ideas and new perspectives. I mean, I've got, right, I'm one person, I've lived one life, I've got one perspective and it's a, it's a singular one. Um, and so one thing I love about teaching and frankly teaching at a university that I think does a terrific job, but it's not Yale or Princeton or Harvard, right? I mean, I'm getting students from all over the place. I'm getting some students who got, came from money, getting students who didn't come from money, from urban places, from rural places, from suburban places. Um, and so I try to listen to their perspectives. And what I find that they're the best at doing is raising questions, kind of like you were saying, why is this? Or giving me ideas about things to study, giving me ideas about things to research, because they, you know, I've been looking at the world this certain way. And then they'll come in and say, well, why do we do this? And sometimes I just haven't thought about it. I've just taken it for granted. And so it's a, the questions they ask I think are as valuable as the things that they tell me. Um, and the same thing's true for me anyways, um, for talking to journalists and having this conversation even today, that the questions people ask me, that's what really gets me thinking. And that's what ultimately I think changes my perspective is the fact that people would think to ask a certain question, right? I just want to think sometimes because I'm me. and. Uh, so I think it's just about moving forward and being excited and like I'm being aware that I'm super lucky. I love what I study. I think it's really interesting. I think it's really important. And um, I try to be open to other perspectives um, that are out there. Hmm. All right. So I have to play my role because they say I'm the guy that stirs. Good. <laughs> Don't know how I got that, but I'll take it. Um, I do. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. We'll talk later. But anyway, no, um, no, just to, just to kind of like, uh, go back to, you know, your, your expertise regarding how to, let me see if I can word this correctly. What do you think is the difference between politics and Southern politics? Oh, great. Yeah. That's such a good question. And so sometimes, um, I promise I'll come around to answer directly, but I'll I'll take the long way if it's okay. I knew you would. <laughs> Sometimes when I teach a Southern politics class, my um, I'll tell the students the first day. The mm -hmm. final exam question is, do we need this class? Or is Southern politics now just like politics in the rest of the country? And so mm -hmm. we just need to get rid of the class and move on. Um, rarely do students take that. Uh, yes, we need to move on perspective. Maybe they're kissing up. I don't know. But to me, I guess Southern politics, first of all, it is distinct in some ways. And I think it's distinct because of the unique history. 
Um, so much of Southern politics comes from the history of slavery and the ways in which we're still um, constrained in our thoughts and patterns and behaviors from the days of slavery. There's a book way back on the shelf here argues that places with larger proportions of slaveholders um, and slaves are actually politically different today. That these behavioral patterns and attitudes get mm -hmm. passed down from generation to generation. And so in places with larger numbers of slaves and slaveholders, they got passed down in a different way in places where that didn't exist as much. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the original sin of slavery plays out in the South in a really distinct way. Um, I think the obviously patterns of race relations in general, mm -hmm. it's the most diverse region in the country, although people don't tend to think of it that way. Um, I think the, um, and sort of connecting to our previous, our discussion at the beginning, I think the way the local plays out in politics um, is different here in the South. Um, and that isn't always better, isn't always worse, but I do think it's fundamentally different, right? Jesse Helms would not have been from Massachusetts and Mike Dukakis would not have been from South Carolina. And that tells me that there are still regional distinctions. Um, and so that class is a really fun one to teach. I always have to struggle a bit. Sometimes there's students who think it's going to be a celebration of the South or that it's going to be just ripping on the South. And the reality mm -hmm. is neither, right? It's, it's, it's neither at all. It's trying to grapple with the South, what it is um, and why it is different. I mean, to me, that's a really interesting question. That was my daughter's. Um, yeah. She was definitely like, I don't know what it is. That was her too. She's like, it's either going to be where we're going to be celebrating the South and all of their traditions and all the things. And she's like, or, you know, I know it's going to be an interesting class because when the, you know, real act, the facts come out, the truth come out, things that are documented that may not have been taught ever before. Mm -hmm. Once you get to this class, it's going to be like, that's not true. Or, you know, so. Uh, she definitely loved the class when she took it and it definitely opened her eyes living here because you know we travel we go up north we have family up north um and it's it's a great thing as a parent but i think as a aging generation when the younger generation you see it in their eyes and it starts to become full circle and it starts to say oh because now they have other experiences you know, college, you have education, you have, you know, now you're old enough to to look at the news. I was going to say read a newspaper, but that would have been a lie. Um, <laughs> reading, <laughs> you know, the, the, the post on your phone and the comments. And so, you know, I think it's great to have courses like this because for those who don't know what Southern life is like, other than attending a university, um, it helps give them from some perspective. And even if they are not a political science major, your friends are going to talk to you about it. And you're going to have those group conversations when you're all in a group and you have something major like Roe versus Wade or the one six insurgent. Like you have uh, someone who you're like, hey, you're being educated. You're being taught. Um, I think for me, because of her, I have learned to appreciate news to take a better or a deeper interest in politics um, and have a, a, a pride in the importance of the accountability I have as a citizen to make sure that I exercise my right to vote. That's so great. And it's, you know, if we think about the right to vote, I mean, the, even that, you know, the, the way that's that right to vote is changed in some ways in the South, I think is different than it has in the rest of the country. And I think we mm -hmm. shouldn't, we shouldn't ignore that. Um, uh, and yeah, it's, I mean, it, it was interesting. So my co-author and I did some focus groups with the book that were really fun because we just kind of like this, just sitting around talking to people about politics and asking people, you know, are you Southerner? When did you decide that? And these are all people who live in the South. And by and large, people would say, I didn't think I was a Southerner until I left the South. And then people treated me differently. And, and I heard that from African-Americans and I heard that from whites and I heard that from people of other races too, that leaving, exactly what you described, the kind of traveling, that piece is what makes people realize oftentimes, hey, I am a Southerner. Now that doesn't mean I'm always proud of it, but it does mean that it's different. It's distinct and people treat me that way. And so yeah, it's really, really interesting stuff.
Oh, yeah. I, I definitely can echo those sentiments, um, being from Long Island, New York, and then moving here to the South. My father migrated from here to New York, and I was born and raised there. And then coming here and visiting during the summers, you know, it would always be that type of distinction, you know, oh, they come the Northerners, or, you know, it was always that distinction. And then when you move here and then you go back, the twang in your voice, the mannerisms, <laughs> Uh, you want more sugar in your tea, things like that, they would say, you know, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how it's, you know, that line, that dividing line, you get through Virginia, that's it, you know, hey, you back north and such. But, and it's ironic though, because I think too, you know, when you mention as far as the history um, in the South, the history in the South when it came to voting and the things that occurred, um, a lot of injustices and and how you know people literally for all intents and purposes they fled the south in order to go up north to get a better way of life and such and i think that added to much of the disparity mm -hmm. if that makes sense no i think you're exactly right i think that great migration was mm -hmm. critical in changing the south and changing the north and then this sort of great remigration that's occurring Yes, uh, I think right. it's changing things back again. And yes, Charlotte's a great example of that. Of course, Atlanta's a fantastic example of that. But you see that all throughout the South. Um, there's a Charles Blow book from a couple years ago where he sort of makes that argument that African-Americans in general should re-migrate to the South because that's where the voting power can actually be the strongest. It's a really that's interesting it. argument, right? I've heard that. Yeah, I definitely yeah. heard that. And, yeah, and it's, it. it's interesting, too, because like my oldest came in just not too long ago, right before we got on. And we were, you know, I had a, I have my T-shirt on that says Brooklyn because I love wearing stuff from up and always represent. And it, and he brought it up. He said, you know, it's interesting that you're wearing that, Dad. He said, because I got a chance to learn more about the Brooklyn Village that was here in Charlotte. And that caused a big discussion between him and I. You know, and a lot of people, you know, really weren't aware of it um, until probably, I want to say maybe six years ago, because I used to work for Mecklenburg County. Mm. And, you know, during that time, there's a place right across from our offices, which is a huge park, Marshall Park. And um, they originally slated that to be closed down because they were getting ready to rebuild Brooklyn Village. Way back in the 70s, um, if memory serves me correctly, the 70s, uh, Brooklyn Village was torn down and it gave way to the East Independence and uh, Midtown Square and all of those areas. And at that time, Brooklyn Village was a predominantly Black area. And, you know, he was like, yo, he's like, I'm listening and I'm reading about this stuff. And he says, it's just so amazing how that was just like literally just torn away due to progress that was going on in Charlotte, North Carolina. I mean, you know, the only thing that is remnant now is there's a, from my understanding, there's a, a funeral home, Alexander funeral home that is from, it's like one of the remnants of that particular area. And then you have the Cherry neighborhood. I don't know, Mel, if you're familiar with that, but Cherry neighborhood. Uh, there's some small shops and things of that nature that still have African-Americans that live there. But I mean, they've been living there, I mean, literally for almost 100 years. That's the last vestiges of Brooklyn Village. There's a, a street up now. Um, it's called, I think it's Brooklyn Village Drive. There's a street uptown in Charlotte now that's right. called Brooklyn Village Drive. Yeah. Uh, literally seen it uh, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday. I was uptown and I was like, oh. Um, huh. I couldn't remember. I didn't know that they had that there. So it's good to, and this is that, that bittersweet spot, Chris, where mm -hmm. it's good to have some acknowledgement, but to have the acknowledgement and then, you know, that's like someone burning down your home where you used to have a bed and breakfast and you serve dinners and stuff out of someone burns it down and then they go you know that was one of the best 
um, African-American bed and breakfasts in like the county. But there, you know, everything that could have, you know, affected the neighborhood, the community, their own personal, you know, long-term generational worth, longevity, that's gone. So what does that really mean? What does that really, you know, feel? Yes, I'm, I feel great that that was acknowledged, but like, what does that really do for what the the action that was taken? So it, it's, it's definitely... Um, is that part where you kind of go, yay, but is it really a yay? And and I'm I'm the opposite of you guys because I was we were I was born in Pittsburgh, we moved to Montgomery, Alabama, 74, no, 75. Wow. And then I was there until I turned 16, and then that's where I went back to Pittsburgh. And so in the summer, I would go to Pittsburgh. And because it was fast and um, I was called Southern Belle and everybody knew when the little, my cousins knew like, oh, that's your cousin from Alabama. That's your cousins from down in the sticks, you know, or the gump, whatever, all this, this these jokes. Um, so I was always excited, like, yes, like I'm going to the city, but there were certain things that was part of me. There were certain things that still made me go, wow. And when I would come back home from the for the summer, I would recognize how much has changed, but not changed. Mm -hmm. um, how those ways affected my family members, you know, even until that time. This this is like, you know, mid eighties, and I had a great uncle who was like six five six six. He worked for the CSX Railroad. And this is when the insurance man would still come to your house mm. to get your payment. Yep. And this young white guy would come, fresh out school probably, and fresh into the field, knock on the door, polite, hey, how you doing? Hello. And my great uncle would not look this young man, to him, a boy, in the face. He would not. And it, I didn't understand until I understood. Mm -hmm. And here you are, you're, you know, it's, you're, you're a grown man and you have this job and, you know, he's huge. He's a, a big guy where anybody would probably be intimidated, you know, and he literally would not look the insurance guy in the face. And that's because he was raised that you didn't look white people in their face when they're talking to you. Like you don't make eye contact with them. And so all of these things help shape and help form my foundation of what it really means to have pride and respect, not only for who you are, but history. Mm -hmm. Because that's not going to be printed in a book. That's not going to be taught in a class. That's a real life experience of, of that. I have so many stories of growing up in Montgomery that you know again this was the 80s this is you know from 1980 to 89 mm. um and like you know people are like oh well because there was a, a law passed and you know there was a bill approved it does not guarantee the execution of it at that time at that moment at that very it does not there's no button that is pushed so the south mm -hmm. definitely has and i still feel do has their own set of rules mm -hmm. um in their own timeline mm -hmm. regardless to what may or may not be passed down that's such a yes yeah, agree completely so interesting yeah just the way that people's memory works and these patterns and stories i had no idea about brooklyn village and charlotte i'm gonna look that up later um but I, I think in your point about how memorializing this it's good but it's not like it makes things okay right um i think it's so smart i think a lot when i drive up uh to virginia and i go up 85 um and go by soul city mm -hmm. in there but the same thing here's a here's the remnants of a community that was supposed that did mean something and it was important and now um it's not there very much at all and there's you know even very little signs that it was there 
Um, so yeah, these are real people's lives. And what did that mean? Uh, I think it's absolutely fascinating. When I was talking to people for that book, uh, African-American woman mentioned, so we started, started about the Confederate flag, of course, right? And there's this many stories stuck with me, but one in particular was this woman said she was downtown and she went to, uh, you know, that moment where you're about to cross and the light turns and it turns red and the cars come in and you think, okay, if that person's going to stop, I'm okay. But if they're not, I'm going to get hit. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So she says she looks, it's red, she pauses, she's ready to walk. It's light says walk in the front of the truck that was coming had a big Confederate flag on it. Mm. She said, I didn't walk for that entire cycle. And just to hear her tell that story, like she, you know, she was going somewhere, she had somewhere to be, but the the grooves of the memory of that hatred stuck with her so much that no matter what that person intended or wanted or thought who was in that truck, the message that he was sending to her was one of hate. And it really just kind of, you know, stuck with me and another good example of where you know you have to hear from people's experiences to really understand how something hits them yeah yeah Indeed. Indeed. that's it that's a conversation um with the african-american household and you know law enforcement you know you cannot you have to validate that yes you need to be concerned but you have to also make sure that there's that balance statement to it. Like this is, this is who we have that's supposed to protect and serve us. And you have to make sure like, hey, not everyone is what's on social media or if it does make the news on the news. Um, for that one, there's 18 that's not. Um, and so you have to make that balance, but you know, how she felt is how, I mean, even me, I feel the same way. I'm very guarded in certain areas and I'm very mm -hmm. kind of like almost on edge sometimes depending on where I am when I'm driving through um, from here and I'm driving home, I got to go through West Virginia. Um, there are certain times depending on where I'm, I'm at, I'm not stopping. There are certain times where I'm like, I'm stopping the same place. I've never had any bad experience, thank God, at all no matter if I'm driving at night or in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, but you do have that. And the reason why you're having that is, it's not because, oh, I'm out here on the road by myself or, oh, I'm a woman, I'm driving alone. I literally feel like, okay, I'm a black woman and I don't know if that's going to target someone. I can't do anything about being a black woman. I am. That's just here to stay. Mm -hmm. So wherever you decide to go and wherever you decide to take a plate, you know, participate in, or, you know, you're, are, you're like, I'm black. We're, we're black doing whatever it is. And so there's that, that anxiousness, that cautiousness of it. And the prayerfulness for me that I don't have or run into anyone, whether it's a regular citizen or if it's law enforcement or whoever the case, that it triggers the fact that I'm black. And and it's interesting that you you mentioned that because I think if you if you look back in history as well, and then even now, and I know I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people and a lot of African Americans as far as like just the whole voting process. And it's interesting, and, and maybe you can shed some light on this as well, Chris. I've had I've had great conversations with brothers, and you know, we're saying, you know, hey, voting, voting is important. Voting is important. I even think back to when uh, Hillary Clinton ran, and I'm sure you remember Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, the whole fiasco that went on there. It was literally split. And I remember a celebrity coming to Charlotte and we were doing an event. And one of the things he was trying to do is to really get people to go to the polls, go to the polls, go to the polls, go to the polls. And a lot of people had negative ideas about going to the poll. One guy, you know, I hear it clearly. Oh man, my vote doesn't count. It doesn't matter. It doesn't it count. matter. They, they don't do, do what they want to do anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you got some saying, oh, I remember when my granddaddy was trying to vote and blah, 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 and they ran him off and stuff. And then when you, I remember 
clearly my wife and I were, were in Gaston County and I remember going to a voting poll uh, in Gaston County and her and I walked and we were we got there early because I believe in like, hey, let's get there. Let's get it done. Be the first one before the line comes. And we got in line. And we did it. And when we were coming out, there was an older woman with her granddaughter and she came and she was wanting to vote. Well, ironically enough, a certain individual in a pickup truck come wheeling in with flags and pulled over to the side. Now, granted, he didn't have any flags that were, of course, for any of the candidates and such, but these flags were very distinctive of my, I might say. Mm -hmm. And she, if you could see her expression, and she didn't want to vote then. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, y'all did a lot for us just to get this opportunity. You need to vote. And I said, I'll stay with you. Me and my wife, we stayed there. And we was like, we walked her back up to the thing, you know, and she went in, she got her vote on her and her granddaughter. But it's just those things right there. Um, I think hinders many of us of our descent to actually let our voices be heard. Have you, have you had any type of interaction with students maybe echoing those same sentiments? Absolutely. Um, students and just people, right? And and um, you said that so well, obviously, you know, come from my perspective, there's absolutely nothing I would do to, to challenge any of that. I mean, that's a real experience that real people have and voting is not everything. And I understand why people would feel that way. We talked about gerrymandering a few minutes ago mm -hmm. and is, you know, sort of a small part of it. We talked about racial gerrymandering in particular with Louisiana. But you know, another way to say, even if you do vote, we, there are things we can do to make sure your vote doesn't count as much. So I understand where that comes from. And I would never want to say voting is the only form of political activity that matters. It's not. I do think I, I'm heartened to hear you say you said, no, we're going to stay anyway, because I do think it does matter. I do mm -hmm. think the evidence is that politicians, the only thing they will listen to is people threatening their jobs, basically. We know mm. that politicians are motivated by re-election, not even for bad reasons, right? right. I want right. to stay in my job to do a better job. Right. Um, so I think it matters. I think it's critical. I think it's particularly to keep coming full circle to this local angle that Melissa talked about before. I think that's where it really matters too. So like a few, may last year maybe, I put some Twitter thread up that was all the different elections in North Carolina that have been decided by a coin toss. Mm -hmm. It was a long thread. I mean, it wasn't thousands <laughs> of tweets, but it was a long thread. It was a long thread. <laughs> like, like, think about that though, a coin toss. And so I live in a small town in Western North Carolina. Uh, two people on, our, on the town board got elected by a coin toss. There's a Confederate flag, excuse me, Confederate monument on mm -hmm. the courthouse. And they had a big vote about the Confederate monument. Mm. And it turns out the two people who won by coin toss weren't real wild about the Confederate monument. So it changed because of two people's votes, two mm. coin tosses. They didn't get rid of it, but they at least got rid of the Confederate flag off the front of the thing because of those two votes. So I think if we, you know, people tend to think it doesn't matter for the presidency. And eh, maybe you got a pretty good point, right? There's, a whole lot of votes there, but for Gaston County Commission, mm -hmm. vote really does matter. So that's tend to be where I go with when I talk to people about that, but I do understand it. I appreciate it. And certainly you can't deny the history of voter suppression in America. I mean, it's here, it's real, and it happened, and it's still happening to some degree. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Mag Vegas, thank you for joining us on At the Roundtable. This will be my first time not voting. I hope my heart changes right now. Feelings, nah. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And I, I get it. I hope um, hope that is what, what's right for them. And I hope that people show up and vote. Um, you know, on the abortion thing, it's really interesting. The um, Wherever people sit on that again, the governor's veto is the key for that right now. If the mm -hmm. governor did not have veto power, we'd be a pro-life state tomorrow. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that's good or bad, again, folks can decide. My point is merely to say that it matters. Um, but I understand the feelings of, eh, <laughs> I get it. So, Chris, I, I have a question. Um, I mean, I, I understand this. This is your this is your life, <laughs> but you are not just you know CNN <laughs> walking around, a human CNN right. walking around. So, what does what does Chris do to unplug? What do you do, you know, to try to say, okay, I'm not thinking about anything, you know, sweet potato pies, mm -hmm. pound cake. I mean, what like what what just makes your mind? just be able to focus on something else and turn down the political noise. Yeah. I mean, I'll take sweet potato pie. I'd be just fine. Uh, <laughs> those at work. I got two little kids. I love to spend time with. Um, I got a wife. I love to spend time with, but um, I also spent a lot of time. actually just about 10 minutes before we started, I went on a mountain bike ride. Um, mm. And so I do a lot of that. I run a little, but I mountain bike, I kayak. I like to spend time outdoors. I like to spend time, kind of in the woods. And that helps me. I don't think about politics. I just kind of enjoy being, I go to a lot of concerts when I can. Again, two young kids can't always go. Yeah, you know, right. I like music. And, uh, and I mean, I'm not just kidding about the sweet potato pie thing either. Like I like to go out and eat. I like to eat good food. <laughs> I, I've been known to enjoy a beverage or two in my day. Uh <laughs> Welcome fellow foodie. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell Adrian, hey, got another one on board. <laughs> so yeah, all the all the good stuff. So no, it's it's but it's key, right? If I don't, if I thought about the stuff all day, you know, I'd be in the corner in that chair right now crying. So I try to not do that. <laughs> do you do you get into a lively discussion regarding the political realm at home? Like I know she just mentioned as far as the unwinding and such, but of course, you know, being, we all bring a, some level of work home Yep. or something will flash on the TV. Then all of a sudden it sparks either a dialogue or a debate. Yep. Absolutely. Look, I want to answer this one for Chris. He gets to say exactly what he really wants to say and how he really wants to feel and don't have to worry about anybody else going about it. He does yeah. bring it home because he gets to say what he wants. Yeah, right. That's part <laughs> there you go. So I, I do, you know, we do talk about it at home. And my, my wife's a history professor. So, you know, we, we have mm -hmm. these conversations. Um, not all the time. We, we do talk about food. We talk about all these other things. Um, but even the kids, you know, we were talking before the show about, about kids and the questions kids ask. So I went to D.C. the other Washington, D.C. with my kids the other week. It was seven and nine. My wife was doing work in the archives, mm -hmm. historian. My kids, you know, we're not thinking about politics, but they started asking me questions like that I never would have thought to ask. So we're we're walking from the Washington Monument to the Lincoln Memorial. We have to pass by the World War II Memorial. So we spend mm -hmm. some time there. And one of my kids says, why do we have so many wars? Like, heck, I don't know, man. But then I'm thinking about it. And then we're walking from the Lincoln Memorial to um, the MLK Monument. And mm -hmm. Uh, my daughter says, who is Martin Luther King? And mm -hmm. I thought, I'm going to let my son ask this. So then I asked my nine-year-old son to explain to my daughter. He did a better job than I would have trying to explain who King was and why King mattered and matters today. Mm -hmm. um, even when I'm not trying to think about politics, I guess, I'll, my view of politics is pretty expansive, right? I don't think it's just politicians in Washington doing stuff. Right. It's these mm -hmm. kind of conversations I think are inherently political. So it does come up. Um, but if I'm by myself in the woods, it doesn't come up at all. <laughs> Good one, man. Wow. I'm telling you, this is, um, Adrian missed out, but we have to thank him. Thank we definitely you. have to thank him, uh, regarding this, because I think this is, uh, this show has been really informative and it's actually been eye opening, uh, regarding just the whole not just the political realm, but I think more along the line, which you've echoed so many times during this discussion or chat or however you want to call it, but the behavior, I think, has been very key. Um, looks like certain behaviors that, you know, carry forward and certain behaviors that people can't get rid of and some that have been just ingrained in them. Um, yeah, that's been very important. You, you didn't take psychology also, did you? 
I did. I took some psychology stuff, and uh, yeah, I did did a lot of political psychology work at some point, at one point in time. So yeah, I like to think about how people how people think about politics. And, and I know we're closing, so I'll keep it real brief. I promise. No, no. But to connect on the food thing, years ago we had a conference here about North Carolina stuff. We had a food scholar in, mm-hmm. and real smart person. We're eating and hanging out and having a couple of drinks. And, and at one point, one of the other people there said to this food scholar, well, food's not very political. And she's like, the hell it's not. <laughs> who's doing the, she goes, who's doing the cooking? You don't think that matters? You don't think that means something for gender roles or for racial roles? For, who's cleaning up? Why are we eating the foods we're eating? Why are there certain foods in certain regions of the country. And so I think it's a good illustration of that, those kind of patterns that get grooved in and how, no, they're not political like, you know, some politician passing a law, but they sure are political in terms of who gets what, when, where, and how. Mm-hmm. Right? Man, I'm glad you said that. That actually brought forth a memory of mine um, out at UNCC Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever you go there and you go down to the cafeteria, um, actually there's an area where we were, we had took classes by means of the NC school of law. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a beautiful cafeteria there, but there's a mural that is on the wall that depicts, um, African-Americans. One in particular, he was very well known, um, as a cook there. And he fed thousands of students and just his interaction and such there and how that actually, I mean, it, it, it kind of was, well, it was, it was historic and it actually set the tone, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm glad you said that. That was, that was very poignant to, to, to mention that. Um, oh. That made me think of how I'm the hawk too, that on the Netflix. Yes. Um, yes. That was very uh, interesting. And to think in, to think of so many dishes, so many uh, recipes that probably is not getting the acknowledgement or stolen, um, mm. that you're like, this is you know 100% American food, you know, but it's not 100 100% you know given the acknowledge of it. But I love how on the hog on Netflix, I thought it was such a great um, documentary about the history, um, true history of, you know, black shelves and, you know, the ones that, that cook for presidents and, and the recipes, the, the similarities, the, you know, some of the documents and some of the recipe cards that I've got that's been found and discovered. And, you know, it makes you think about, okay, does this really mean, well, no, what mm-hmm. does this really mean? Because I, I like to think of a cook being a cook. Mm-hmm. Not from France, not from Africa, not from, you know, and I think that should only matter when the history and the influence is in the food and it's not, it's foreign to you. I think that's when that needs to come up to say, mm-hmm. hey, this person is from blah, blah, blah. This is a seasoning or a root or an herb that's grown there. And that's why they have this taste, you know, not so much, oh, uh, they're black cooks, they're servants, you know, in that kind of role. Like that's the only thing and all the way that American history kind of, you know, made black chefs seem like they were the help and not as brilliant with their um, marrying of flavors as a French chef, you know? Um, so it absolutely, you know, has influence and it has dictation on our history and, and our politics um, because there was only when George Washington had certain people that he was having, there was a certain dish that he wanted and there was a certain cook that he needed. There was, you know, it definitely has. Who wants to to have somebody that you know doesn't cook well, you know, to have this dinner with that you're going to need to rub elbows with to maybe get something that you want, you know? So it definitely has an influence um, Mm. in our political history, for sure. Oh, yeah. And just think about this. And I thought about this. Man, I'm telling you, we need to go two hours. This is just messed up. But I thought about this because I think about many times whenever uh, certain races are going on, mm-hmm. especially like in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the barbecues that always go on. And you have, I remember when Bi Lyles came uh, right up near us, right off of uh, Brookshire. 
and there's a there's a church that is there that does their barbecue and she came out and you know you're shaking hands and such and and especially in north carolina they're very well known like you know hey got a barbecue going on or whatever sort that's the best place to go to interact with you know potential voters eat some barbecue shake hands see if you sway the vote but i think of this one instant i used to i used to work for a restaurant it's called Mertz heart and soul mm. in charlotte north carolina if you ever come to charlotte and you want some soul food go to Mertz heart and soul Mertz has became a staple in the community. He's writing it down. Good job. Yes. Um, he is a staple in the community when it comes to soul food and history behind him. I remember when he first opened, but he used to be known as GA on Tryon. And he was there. He, he came from Georgia, moved to Charlotte. He opened a place called GA on Tryon. And many individuals that would get out of their hearings or many individuals, um, Hugh McCall in particular would go there after late at night in order to grab a bite to eat. And they were able to persuade him to get a spot located on College Street way before like the big construction and before Bank of America came into play and became part of the banking capital here. Mm -hmm. So I remember when I was working there, I was a manager for them and a general manager for them. But I remember when um, a certain president and you know who he is. He's very well known. He shoots basketball. And, <laughs> but he came to Charlotte and we actually fed him. I mean, he had to go through the whole security clearance and everything like that and such. But just to think about how, you know, he made it a point to say, I want that food. And then for all the people that were like involved in order for us to feed him and how he was able to reach out to people and such during that. You're right. Food plays a huge part in the movers and shakers in the political realm, and they know it. So, but if you come to Charlotte, Merch Heart and Soul, I'll take you there. Cornbread, cornbread. Rolls. You have to get those two. I don't yeah. care whatever else you order. You have to also order cornbread and the soul rolls. So, okay. yes, cornbread and soul rolls. It's yes. on. It's on. It's, I got it on my notepad. I'm going. <laughs> Man, this has been cool. This has been amazing. Sis, do you have any other further questions or whatever sort? I had to bring in the food thing because you know this might be. I did not. I did not. You always do that when I'm hungry. Like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I have enjoyed, Chris. I enjoyed it. I was so like, I don't know. I too was like, should I change? I put on like a nice shirt since you only going to see the top half of me anyway. <laughs> you know, should I put on a jacket if I leave my t-shirt on? Should I throw a blazer on? I was like, okay, well, I'll wait to see what he has on before, you know, Carrie lets me in and then I'll make my adjustments. <laughs> I have a blazer on my bed. <laughs> and um, I love the fact that you were just laid back with us. Um, again, we say and named Ashur um, at the round table because at the round table, everyone can see and everyone can speak, see who's speaking. And it keeps a, a, a connection with that, with that shape. So we have enjoyed you. I have truly gained knowledge from you and I have something to go back to my daughter with. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank both of you. Really fun conversation, and I'm very glad I did not grab the sport coat because it's way more fun like this. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, what about you, CD? I, hey, I loved it, especially getting the you know the shout out, you know that you know with the intro and you know just the whole vibe and such. I think you know I think we did our job regarding you know being able to bring this type of information to the masses and just making it lively and fun and not so stoic, you know. This, you know, we, we we can have great conversation without having to be so serious, but still learn from each other Absolutely. during the course of it. So I loved it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chris, do you have any other projects or anything that you're going to be doing? Um, we should be looking for it in well, the future. I always trying to, you know, I'll keep writing and some of it's more academic and some of it's, you know, aimed at regular folks. And so I try to keep doing both of those, working on a couple of book projects. So I'll try to get those out there and doing a little bit of writing for magazines and newspapers and and like tina i'm getting hungry now too so 
<laughs> Sorry about that, Tina. We always have to plug in food, though. You know it's me. I don't have these cheeks for nothing. <laughs> well, family, thank y'all for joining us on at the Roundtable Podcast Show. If you get a chance, please share the show with uh, anyone that again did not get a chance to to watch it. We'll go back and edit it and have it ready for our YouTube channel as well. And uh, stay tuned. You know, you never know who we're going to have on here. But as we always say, you know, it's the People's Podcast Show. It's at the Roundtable Podcast Show. And shout out to Adrian, A Money Biddle, for bringing us Chris Cooper this evening. It was great dialogue. We look forward to doing some more things with him and following him in his other endeavors as well, especially when you know you've got an author. You know, it's kind of good to have somebody refer to Chris CD is an author as well. Hey, we ain't got time to talk about that. We're talking about Chris. I'm gonna Google that later. <laughs> <laughs> Thank y'all once again for joining us on that round table. Thank you, Tina, for joining us this evening as well. Again, like and share, and we will see y'all again soon. Y'all be good. My family. Thanks. Enjoyed it. <laughs>